are listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And we've got Isaac in our headphones, fact-checking and keeping us honest at the very reasonable rate of $16,000 for every 10 minutes. <laughs> that is that is the best freelancer rate you're ever going to see, Isaac, or any one of us. <laughs> and we just do this for the love of it. <laughs> We, 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 we crowdfunded like crazy for that uh, spot and uh, we, we've spent it all on a guy who's on the podcast sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, it's been a big week. Um, it's been a big week. We, we, we literally just got the news that lockdown is ending, so that's nice. Yay! Um, I think we're all really talking really... about COVID much this episode, but oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> has, it, has it been a big week or have we just been on Twitter too much? I mean, it's really yes. hard to tell. Yes, to both. <laughs> I, I think I was like this week. I was really starting to feel the if I don't get to go outside and have a beer, I will literally die mood because mm. the weather has been so bad and it's spring. And I think yeah. seeing Sydney starting to open up has started to make Melbourne's minds feel like they're melting a bit. However, it's just nice. I think it's Im- immediately improved our mood that um, Dan Andrews has just announced that lockdown is going to be ending as of this coming Thursday. So that's great. We've been allowed to have picnics in a park with friends for a little bit, but it's been like, but it's not going to be nice. (laughs) (laughs) The weather's horrible. (laughs) It's been been pretty good in places, but it's, it's tricky to plan. Because yeah. everyone's either either weird or <laughs> <laughs> mostly it, weird. It can only be a few people, so you got to like pick your best people, and it's hard. It's a hard one, yeah. man. Now we don't have to worry about the weather. We can gather gather indoors. Just need to worry about oh, my fuck. social agoraphobia that I've spent the last two years cultivating. <laughs> Guys, can we play board I, games again? I think so. Holy I think it's shit! Back on. Yeah. Board games chat is going to go off almost immediately. <laughs> Dust that off. <laughs> Good news this week. News Corp's pro climate action now. Yeah. Yay. They're, they're, uh, oh, they're guaranteed to be genuine about it, do you reckon? The face-eating leopards have said, we're not going to eat faces anymore. <laughs> While sharpening their knives and forks. No, that's they're leopards. They don't use cutlery. But <laughs> While eating a face. The, the Leopards Eating Faces Party has announced that they'll be using cutlery from now on. Oh, huzzah. It's wonderful news. Um, so, yeah, News Corp have uh, launched uh, in Australia, have launched a uh, two-week campaign called Mission Zero that's mm. going to be advocating for a net zero target, which I, I think sort of means net zero, net zero by 2050. Yeah, and, and that's to line up with the Glasgow, like, uh, big climate meeting that's coming up in a week or two. Yeah. yeah, and also we did speak a little bit about this in episode 89 with Linda Rollins. Um, we talked about it when it was like sort of given a bit of forward sizzle and rumours specifically mm. leaked to the media about it. Um, and so we've got a bit more information about what we thought it was going to be then, but now the two weeks is happening, so it's going to be interesting to get into the weeds about what this campaign actually means. Yeah. <laughs> just just to give away the twist, I am not sold. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to sum it up as shit. <laughs> <laughs> but let's dive into why. Um, so <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's uh, manifested so far as a bunch of like news stories and stuff about different angles on like why net zero is going to be great. It's going to be great for the Australian economy. Here's a bunch of explainers about different like fuel sources yeah. and that sort of thing. What is renewables, et cetera, yeah. um, that are 
you know, thinly veiled, uh, still uh, climate denialist uh, propaganda, as we'd expect from News Corp, just doing a lot of like, oh, the best way to get to net zero is obviously gas. You bloody bet. Hydrogen made out of gas. It's not quite in line with the science. No. But it does admit that science exists, and that is a step. Yes. It's a <laughs> that's, the, that's the most glowing phrase that we can master. But it's a step. <laughs> this is like one of those things we've talked about on the podcast before a couple of times, but mm. it's, the, it's the stages of climate denialists, basically, mm-hmm. where they deny, 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 and then they'll say it exists, but it's not a big deal, and then that mm-hmm. will go for a while, and then they'll say, it's too late, we're just going to have to live with it. So we're at the stage Absolutely. where it's just like Hildebrand saying, actually, it's real, but stop whinging about it. It's not as bad as you think. Yeah, so, and, and this, is, this is the real learning, the learning moment here is this is something, because News Corp obviously is like the number one climate denial, like, agency. Out, yeah. In the world, maybe. Mm. Like, Second to the fossil fuel companies who actually, you know, started it and are doing the bad stuff, News Corp is their <laughs> PR arm. Um, and, and so obviously they've spent the last multiple decades tearing apart every aspect of the Australian country that could work against, um, you know, fossil fuel companies. And now they're going, ah, but you know what? We got it. We got to think about getting to net zero, you know, do it for the miners, kids. So, like you said, Evie, it's it's headed up by Joe Hildebrand, who's a you know he's a writer. He's he's been an editor of News Corp stuff. He pops up on TV now and then. He, I don't know why he's here on the planet, but he, <laughs> what's his, his purpose? His whole thing is he is the News Corp's like token. What they think is like a centre left guy, but to everyone else is just a, a centrist enigma. Um, well, he doesn't believe anything, which means that he's the only person in News Corp, I think I've made this joke before, that can say climate change without bursting into flames. Um, yeah. my, my, re- my read on him is he's the one that News Corp is like, he's left wing. Yeah. And so everyone left of him is crazy. He's their bar. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's his thing as well, is he's the guy that they trot out to be like, science is real. Climate change is a thing. But stop whinging about it. It'll get fixed by big companies and government. Like, yeah. Greta Thunberg is just a whiner and she's making you look, look bad. Um, he's, and, and he represents their whole thing of they've moved from denial, which is climate change isn't real. They can't support that anymore, into delay, which is it is real, but let's, it's, it's happening. We're fixing it. Just be chill. Yeah. Just trust that the graphs that show us on a trajectory to disaster they're going to turn themselves around. Don't worry about it. Uh, the government knows what they're doing. It, it is sort of encouraging that the mood of the government has it in hand, so you've got nothing mm. to worry about. Everyone who carries on about it is being an alarmist still. So it is sort of, it's a very gradual change from it's not real, you're being an alarmist to, yeah, it's kind of real, but it's still <laughs> nothing to be worried about. It is real you're being an alarmist. <laughs> um, I don't think it is comforting. I'm not comforted by it because no. I think if News Corp had stuck to climate change isn't real, we'd stop taking them seriously. Um, this is still them putting the anchor in as hard as they can. It's just that the anchor has moved to a different place now because that's yeah. the only possible thing. It's purely an exercise designed to make it harder to say News Corp is climate denialist outlet. Um, and so their headlines... Uh, 
I, I just think are funny. They're all like, green and gold. You know, Australia can make a lot of money from not being on fire. I've got to say, that front page is so funny. We'll definitely put it in the show notes. But that front page is the best way they could start this campaign, which is, I'm um, just going to describe it because we're a podcast. Um, it is a guy in high vis. I guess he's a minor. Uh, he's yeah, there. He's He's there with his kids or like some kids. I don't know. Maybe they just pulled some kids into <laughs> shots. Who knows? Um, and it's in br- big writing. It's got green and gold, but the gold bit big is really gold. flashy. And it's yeah. like the Normal green was like a, <laughs> just an afterthought. Um, but it's just, it's really funny to me that, of course, of course, the only way we could talk about any sort of climate change is talking about how Australia could make a shit ton of fucking money from it. Yeah. yeah, and the gold is like huge block letters. It looks like a racing, like a betting supplement thing <laughs> or like a scratchy. Um, but the green and are in white, normal, lowercase, because the Daily Telegraph could not put the word green in green uh, <laughs> because they've they've spent decades like cultivating like uh, uh, just a such just a negative connotation for the word. Yeah, like a reflex where they Pavlov's dogged their entire yeah. audience into like reacting really angrily to the word green. So if they if, actually put it in that color, they get like a whole bunch of angry letters. <laughs> yeah. Like they've they've the green agenda's taken over the Daily Telegraph. <laughs> they've conditioned boomers that when they see the word green, they go into a blind rage and wake up a day later naked covered oh, in blood. I'm seeing green. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like the articles are really funny because the, oh, are they uh, really funny? I mean, the articles are sad. fucked. I mean, the they're funny in a ha ha. Oh my god, we're all gonna die sort of way. Yeah, you're they're funny in a sort of the, the kind of laugh that goes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a laugh that now. That's, that's my Hysterical new, my laugh. New invention. <laughs> I have to give some credit to McLean on this because McLean really um, was a troop in doing the investigation mm. for this episode, he really went in and actually read those oh, articles. <laughs> fucking dive. I was like a deep dive, but the kind of deep dive that's more of a deep spiral. Let's. <laughs> but, oh God. So the, the, the one that sort of initially caught my eye was this is part of that, oh, we're not climate denialists anymore. We're going for net zero, top of the line. How gas will play a role mm. in Australia's net zero future, which is I did a little colour coding thread on Twitter where I, I colour coded statements that were positive to gas and quotes from fossil fuel industry uh, executives versus uh, quotes that were critical of gas or mentioned climate change. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The balance is not even. (laughs) Give us an estimate. Seriously, the whole fucking thing is like, gas is great. We love gas. We needed a bunch. Here's about a quarter of the article is direct quotes from a fossil fuel executive. Obviously, climate change is bad, but... Gas is going to be the future, and we're not talking to any climate scientists for this uh, article at all. <laughs> just, just, you could read the thing and not be at all aware that climate change was even a problem. Mm. It's purely like, here's how gas helps us and is great. I and love it. We're definitely going to need it. And this is, this is the, we're not denialists anymore sort of thing. It's, <laughs> th- th- yeah, it's, it's fucked. This isn't it's one of their things they've done in the past where they've actively had a three-page supplement paid by the gas industry. This is an article. 
<laughs> yeah. Is it an article that's got like tiny writing that says sponsored by in the, in the yeah. bottom? I mean, it's got an article that's got tiny writing that says News Corp Australia Network on it, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it reminds me like I swear like every second or third episode we talk about how News Corp loves to have someone um, featured who says actually our future is gas. Um, and the, and all like we've talked about in the past also about Instagram influencers being recruited to talk about mm. how gas is the future. Yeah. Um, but this is it. This is how News Corp is going to take their next line, that gas is the yeah, future. I, I, I thought, like, so there was also one about how renewables can be the future. It's not just them being, like, only gas. But even the renewables one is, like, if I had to write an if you if you took me aside and were like, McLean, you've got to write an article about how renewables are good, but the reader has to come away not liking renewables very much. Mm. This is the article I would write if <laughs> I was much better at being fucking evil, right? Because it's, oh, it, it's, it's just like it's got a lot of good little explainer infographics about how renewable works. It actually mentions climate change in a sort of this could be a real disaster for us sort of way. But in an article about renewables, it still manages to include the phrase, the sun doesn't always shine yeah. and the wind doesn't always blow. And it's got this That's sort of amazing. bit where it asks these negative questions in really simple language, in really big headlines. And then the answers for them are like phrased really vaguely and really boringly. So it's like, don't those solar panels just become junk when they stop working? <laughs> That's Answer. a real question. Moves are afoot to <laughs> stop this. Victoria recently banned blah, blah, blah. Pretty well all solar panels have a 20-year manufacturer's warranty. You know, we're working on... Like, th- <laughs> th- that's not a very good sort of way to... Fr- and then the second one, the wind farms. What about wind farms? Don't they cause health problems? And this really long paragraph, we've been unable to draw a causational causality between the status health condition and the operation. You can just say no. No, you okay. fucking idiot. I know I joked about this before, but I am jokeified just reading these two paragraphs, that, like, which I had not seen until just this moment. Who the fuck thinks of a solar panel and the first thing they think of is isn't it junk when it stops working? You have um, led that question into someone's mind to think of it right. as junk in the first instance. I will tell you. Who yeah, does that? Ex- exactly who says that are people who read the Daily Telegraph and the Herald Sun because every time they talk about solar panels and renewables, they say, oh, these things are bloody just going to be junk. Oh, they only last 20 years. Oh, they're making more trash than they save. Because every Daily Telegraph reader cares about every other bit of stupid trash that they put in like you know that they buy and Mm. just becomes rubbish after five years like I sometimes I forget what a bubble I live in Mm. that I don't talk to people who just can like the first thing they think about solar panels is it's gonna be garbage after 20 years this the the wind farms bit also includes this quote from Tony Abbott. What about wind? What about wind farms? Don't they cause health problems? Well, former Prime Minister Tony Abbott described wind farms as the dark satanic mills of the modern era and mm. questioned their impact on human health. Thanks, thanks for bringing that up. That's re- you, you motherfucker. Just don't mention that. You, what? Sorry, this is like basic psychology that they've led with the negative, and then they've got like 
they've got a quote right after the Tony Abbott one saying, but the Australian Energy Infrastructure Commissioner, Andrew Dyer, said that after five years of investigating health complaints connected to wind farms, he's been, quote, unable to draw a causation or casualty between the state it, health condition and the operation of the wind farm. Uh, Basically, they're it, saying it's a big wind farm thing. It's, it's the most boring and drawn out and like sort of fear-mongering way you can say no. It's it's so uh, man, I just I I gotta say I'm not buying that the pivot to <laughs> pro climate action is uh, genuine. I, I I just gonna run down a couple of other bits in their mission zero coverage that they've included. We've got a documentary from Chris Kenny which lifts the lid on renewables, exposing <laughs> why nuclear is the future of Australia. We've got an exclusively fucking Gina Reinhart warning that rushing to reduce greenhouse emissions could cost taxpayers billions, and then we've also got a puff piece on. On Andrew fucking Forrest, who is also doing a pivot to climate action despite being a, a long-term mining industry magnate who, who I reckon is still owns fossil fuel infrastructure and is investing in oil. But he, I reckon, and I, I think it's the opinion of the pod general, is definitely going to take a stab at running for PM mm-hmm. sometime pretty soon. And so he's 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 shoring up his image. Keep an eye out for fucking Twiggy Forrest. But yeah, man, this this fucking mission zero, I don't trust it. And I trust it. I was just like incoherently screaming into a cushion just when you mentioned Gina Reinhart getting a go in this because like I I listened to the pod when I'm not on it. I listened to the Gina Reinhart special last week and like I, I was thinking this morning about just how Gina Reinhart like, you know, basically gets pay, look, pays people to say nice things about her and <laughs> – and here we are once again. Gina Reinhardt gets her foot in the door and talking about Mission Zero and like, but also let's not rush into it because it could cost taxpayers. Who the fuck cares, Gina Reinhardt? Who asked you? You're part of the problem. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh my god. Uh, there was also a, a piece from Andrew Bolt. He's mad. Oh, what's News Corp doing? They've turned leftist. <laughs> They've turned to these fucking hippies. I don't like it. Oh, surely the the state of of climate inaction in Australia is in a dire situation now that News Corp's gone evil and gone to the the <laughs> loony green bin. Like th- this fucking guy, he I, I I honestly reckon that he's not actually angry. And <laughs> bold claim there. I don't think he's being genuine. Um, I reckon he's running interference, like playing cover for sure to lend credibility to the idea that News Corp is actually pivoting to pro-climate stance, where they're just like, oh, what we'll do is we'll make our main anti-climate guy be like, what? This is unacceptable. So that if people are like, you know, oh, so I heard on the Not Good Enough podcast that they don't really believe it. No, no, Andrew Bolt's mad. It must be real. No way. It's that. (laughs) I think it's also that all of the people who they've, cultivated into having a knee-jerk rage reaction to the word renewables. Um, like, if if your news court paper, if every article was like, climate change is real, renewables are good, coal is bad, they'd be like, what? what? And they burst into flames. But they can they can be like, oh, wait, can still read Andrew Bolt, can still look at Andrew Bolt on Sky News, can still get that Murdoch thing because it's still got the guys who are telling me what I want to hear. Yeah, he's saying it like it is. And it's it's the same both sides-isms that they usually do um, the other way around. Usually mm-hmm. News Corp is like, oh, you know, lefties are shit. But then there'll be like one article that's like, maybe lefties have a point. 
um, and and <laughs> mm. so they can like they can create that debate. They can have angry articles piling on, but they can still be like, oh, but look, see, we said lefties maybe have a point, so we're not all bad. They're doing the same thing here, but the other way around, just for a bit. It's the same false balance as the gas renewables articles, where they're like, gas is great, and renewables mm. are they bad? Maybe not. (laughs) It's having your cake and eating it too because, Hmm. like, you've got all that, like, you know, fake thing and then you've got Andrew Bolt pretending to be hopping mad in the corner. But, like, the Hmm. weird thing is is that, like, I didn't think of it until just now, but because they've got Andrew Bolt being hopping mad in the corner, if anything, it's going to further radicalise anyone who did buy into the initial Mm. sort of propaganda that, the Herald Sun and like anything else that News Limited had and make them think even more that, well, if Andrew Bolt is saying what I believe and the thing that I was reading before has changed their mind, maybe the more serious stuff that Andrew Bolt is trying to tell me about is also true. Yeah, I mean, they've got the the long term thing of like you know, oh, the greenies have their their you know puppet strings in the in the in the backs of every you know MP. Sort of, you, you got to watch out for the green agenda. And now they've got like the green agenda is so insidious and so powerful. It's even managed to infiltrate News Corp. Yeah, he says from the back page of News Corp. <laughs> Starting to think that uh, maybe this is controlled opposition. There, there was also a quote in his rant where this is where I'm like, oh, here I, I reckon I can see what you're doing, Andrew Bolt. Prime Minister Scott Morrison will actually be delighted because he can now have the Malcolm Turnbull-style policy that he wants, net zero emissions, and take it to the next <laughs> big global warming conference in Glasgow in November, knowing he has the backing of the Murdoch media. This, You see this? This is Andrew Bolt being like, Scott Morrison... He wishes he could get a climate action agenda off the ground. It's just too difficult for him. Like, that's clearly <laughs> not fucking true at yeah. all. Scott Morrison is such a long-term public enemy to any kind of climate action. But now, thanks to Andrew Bolt, we've got like, oh, see, we all know that Scott Morrison secretly really wished for it. And now he can finally have his true dream. Like, fuck off. What if, what if it's just a coded message where he's like, Scott Morrison can take a net zero policy to... Glasgow and have the backing of the Murdoch media. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking idiot. Um, and But I agree with him wholeheartedly because he can have a Malcolm Turnbull type policy, i.e. all talk, no action. Uh- <laughs> that will be immediately eradicated by the next person. Get him. <laughs> As always, I think Keaton Joshi has, has just put it into words better than I ever could. And he's got a great article about it which we'll link you in the notes, but he he makes a great point here where he says, what might reasonably seem like a surprising change of heart in News Corp's stance on climate is actually a long-term tactical shift that's been occurring for at least a few years. Whatever policies they failed to destroy through their earlier campaigns, they'll try and reframe through racist, nationalistic, technocratic, and pro-business frames. We'll know that denialism has truly ended when organizations like News Corp treat the IPCC's latest report like it's real. And they're not yeah, right now. And you can see it's it. this whole thing where they say, oh, it's going to make us some money. They're not like, your children will die. Yeah. I think there's a thing of like, how do you spot a climate denier that is actually a really easy question, which is, are they advocating for a rapid and drastic transition away from fossil fuels? No? <laughs> You've got a climate denier on your hands. Like, it's it's a slam dunk. And so you can just see it immediately. So, yeah, you don't just have deniers like News Corp deniers. You also have that 
that soft delay or even the, yes, climate is real, we want to do things, but you can tell they don't really in their hearts believe it. Um, and a good mm. example of that is always Labor, uh, who will say, <laughs> who will say climate change is real? Oh, ScoMo's not doing enough about climate. Oh, we got to get to net zero by 2050. And you say, why do we want to do that, Labor? And they go, uh, money, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, is it because Chris- we're all going to die? Oh, no, it's it's because, you know, everyday Australians are feeling the sting in their oh. back pocket with the electricity bills. Yeah. Yeah. If if the most urgent thing you can think of is electricity bills, I think you haven't read the IPCC report, <laughs> which doesn't mention electricity bills very much. Mm. So Chris Bowen, who's Labor's shadow minister for climate and energy, um, he gave a speech to launch this Climate of the Nation report, which is a report put out by the Australia Institute, which they do every year or so, um, or quite frequently, which basically measures the Australian public's, like, feelings on climate change and it's 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 a thing i refer to a bit because it is just a really good thing to have in your pocket because it's basically like hey 80 percent of the australian population is like climate change is really important do something about it now like urgently you know 75 percent of the population is like build more renewables even if it costs taxes we will pay taxes for you to make renewables and not kill our children in climate change. Um, and this is the stuff that you can have whenever people go, ah, people don't care about climate change. No, it's just the government yeah, doesn't do. care about climate change. People do care. Oh, the government's like, oh, it's a, it's a vote loser. It's like, <laughs> everybody <laughs> likes it though. Yeah, here's your evidence. Yeah, the, the key findings of the Climate of the Nation report, uh, concern is at record high levels. Everyone wants good policies like electric vehicle policies, renewables, um, coal and gas is super unpopular, but but his speech just doesn't reflect that. As our opponents run scare campaigns about the economic cost of climate action, we must point out that actually good climate policy creates jobs and cuts power bills. The world's climate emergency is Australia's jobs opportunity. The world's climate emergency is Australia's jobs opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And Australia's climate emergency. But your house is on fire. That's going to help out mum and dad firefighters. Fuck you know? off. Good Aussie hose makers. It's, it's the whole speech. You the, the, There's like the transcript. We'll put a link to the transcript and the, obviously to the, the, the actual speech itself in, in, the, in the notes. The whole speech you could listen to mm. and not know that there was a danger. It sounds like he's talking about a recession. Yeah. Also, it just sounds like really dry. It It's just, it, it's Chris Bowen yeah. being the most Labor politician ever and not... Like saying, like it's just so funny that he starts with like, as our opponents run scare campaigns about the economic mm. cost. Well, it's a scare campaign because climate change is coming and it's here and we're already feeling the effects <laughs> of it. It's not a scare campaign like in that respect, and I don't give a shit about how much it costs to fix it. As our opponents run scare campaigns about the economic cost, we're going to respond only to those scare campaigns. Right. <laughs> we're not going to bring up any other points about climate change. Now, to be clear, anything less than committing to net zero emissions by 2050, legislating that commitment and significantly improving our medium-term targets is a cop-out at COP that sells the Australian economy short. And I'll continue to highlight that no matter what happens in coming days. When you're busy getting food on the table, making sure that kids are doing their homework or trying to pay off a mortgage with stagnant wages, COP26 is probably not what's keeping you up at night. I, I, 
I gotta say, it's a bit keeping me up. And yeah. <laughs> I'm very scared that the governments of the world are going to come away from COP26 being like, maybe net zero by 2050 is all we need to do. Yeah. Maybe that's adequate. When you're busy getting food on the table, you're not worrying about the world's agricultural systems. The, the, the idea that, like, the, cutting our emissions by 2050, net zero by, net zero by 2050 is an insane goal when the IPCC report is like, we need to dismantle the fossil fuel industry as quickly as fucking possible. They're yeah. like, oh, what does that mean? Another 30 years? Mm. If we get around to it? It's terrifying. Also, like, every millennial who's been interested in what governments are doing about climate change or lack thereof remembers that previous deadlines used to be 2020 and it is currently 2021 and nothing yeah. of any sort of note has been done about it. <laughs> Just blowing past it. I'm, I'm, and Zoomers as well are fucking across climate mm. change that, and, and, and very scared of it. I, my entire life has been news reports coming out being like, it's way worse than we thought, guys. Climate change. Yeah. Much yep. worse than we thought. You want to do something about it? Any day now. Every fucking two months a new report comes out. Way worse than we thought. If we put this off, it's only going to get harder. Oh, boy. So, yes, Chris Bowen, COP26 is is scary. <laughs> Remember when we started this podcast in the shadows of the worst fires? Uh, in the shadows of the burning noses of koalas, as Mitch likes to put it. <sighs> yeah. um, it's almost like that's an example Labor could use at any point in their speech. They could say, hey, remember the fires when Scott Morrison fucked off to Hawaii and then promised a whole bunch of stuff and then didn't deliver any of it? Oh, have you forgotten that, Labor? Oh, you want to just respond to the scare campaigns about economic costs? Okay. Remember the fires that were a glimpse of what we'll be able to see all the time forever for the rest of our lives because we keep burning fossil fuels and they're only going to get worse for every tonne of carbon emissions that we emit? That, mm. that there's really, like, not any way to sort of retract from within a sort of hundred-year time span? That's that's a thing that you could hit occasionally. How do we reach these voters? Remember the bushfires <laughs> that for the first time in my life we've actually had to buy masks that have ventilators on them, or masks in general, and I've You're lived right. in bushfire areas where at the time in, like, 93, 94, they said these were the worst bushfires we ever had, and it just wasn't even thought of that, like, that would be just a thing we'd have to live with. Increasingly... And and, like, not every once, every, like, you know, 10 years or something. Now it's, like, every two or three years. When COVID hit, there were a lot of people like, thank God I already have a bunch of masks oh. yeah. from the bushfire smoke. <laughs> that Turns was out weird. Th- different kinds of masks, <laughs> they're not even useful, so whatever. But the, the fact that everyone was already basically across masks when COVID hit because we already had to wear them a couple of months earlier because of the bushfire smoke. Anyway, fucking let's hear again from Chris Bowen about why climate action is in the best interest of Australians. So again, we must bring the arguments in favour of acting on climate change back to why it's in the best interests of Australians. Those keen on perpetuating a kind of culture or identity war about climate painted as a rich person's hobby. But it's your Daryl Kerrigan's, not your Chris Hemsworth's, that stand to benefit from lower energy bills thanks to renewables, electric vehicles and energy efficiency. (laughs) Okay, this one, this is the one. This is the one. This is the one that sent me insane because of the, just the, first of all, who makes a reference to a fictional character and a real person 
in a sentence oh, when yeah, you're comparing the two. Secondly, mixing his cannons and mixing his cannons. Secondly, Daryl Kerrigan was a boomer who had several cars, a boat, and a holiday house. Of all the and pe- a house and, and a, a, his own house and for a holiday. The house. <laughs> for the international listener, Daryl Kerrigan is the protagonist of a 1997 Australian film <laughs> called The Castle, which is about a guy who the government is trying to compulsorily acquire his house off him. The plot of the movie is that he is a homeowner, but he is consistently referred to in Australian sort of media and politics. He's a he's a very popular character to reference because mm. he's a classic Australian working class battler, which is yeah, decades <laughs> out of date. Yeah. Point me to somebody who is in Daryl Kerrigan's sort of economic relative position then, who owns multiple homes, multiple cars, supports a family. Like, fuck off. Yes, I did, six I, I family it up. members. It's two homes, six cars, a boat, a truck, uh, his own business. He supports a family of six and he would now be 78. So <sighs> it's not really... The touch point you want. And he's fictional. Classic intergenerational <laughs> wealth hoarder. You couldn't find a single real low income person. Yeah. Like, what the hell else has, got, has Daryl Kerrigan got in that pool room? But anyway, like, this is, <laughs> this is a boomer. He has a pool room. It's <laughs> <laughs> a pool room. God. Like, does any Zoomer listening to this podcast live in a house that has a quote unquote <laughs> good room? Does that term mean anything to you? Because it used to mean something to boomers. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you have an experience of a backyard that you're allowed to dig a hole in? <laughs> yeah. Slash keep multiple greyhounds in. <laughs> Fucking hell. Luckily, if we filmed the castle today, Daryl Kerrigan would have his home destroyed in a bushfire and his family Ooh. killed. So that's what we can fucking think. Chris Bowen, talk about how climate change is dangerous <laughs> instead of an economic opportunity. What the fuck's the matter with you? <laughs> Another thing about that reference is that it's an ongoing problem that Australia has such a level of, like, out-of-touch cultural cringe in our politics that even when they want to make a popular culture reference, it's minimum 20 years out of date. Minimum. Oh, that's more just because successive governments have destroyed funding to the arts. (laughs) We we don't, like, name an Australian movie that came out in the last 10 years. Mad Max. Come on. <laughs> Red Dog. <laughs> Mad Max. <laughs> Mad Max was very good. <laughs> Tell you what, though, Film Victoria funds a shitload of indie video games and they're fucking amazing. Uh, yeah. uh, just that, that, uh, a yeah, little, cr- little sidetrack. But that's hey, guys, um, I was wrong about Red Dog. That came out more than 10 years ago. There we go. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and Fury Road came out in 2002. So, are you? No, I didn't really. <laughs> I was like, no, it didn't. <laughs> I had you for a second. I had you for a second. <laughs> also, Chris Bowen make a reference to Untitled Goose Game Challenge. <laughs> the government is the untitled goose in the sleepy village of climate change. <laughs> they are causing problems on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> just, just before we move on, though, I just want to hit the Vic, the the, the, the bloody Vic Labor. Just we, we've, we've been shitting on uh, federal labor for being insufficiently pro climate action, and I just want to mention that there was another bill that went in front of the Victorian government. They've already been decided to drill for new gas because they're obviously pro-fossil fuels themselves in uh, an area that's called the 12 apostles um but there's a beautiful natural landmark it's on all the postcards yeah and they're like oh we we could probably get some gas out of them hey uh the victorian greens were like 
do we want to reconsider? Should we? Maybe not. They put up a bill. Of course, Liberal and Labor voted that down because they do definitely want to. And if you ask them again, you sure? They're like, yes, absolutely sure. IPCC report, not real. <laughs> Let's yeah. go. The Victorian Greens just like pointed out the window at the fire and went, uh? Uh? <laughs> what? <laughs> Labor and Liberal just like drew the blinds. <laughs> not to belabor the point, but it's extremely darkly funny to me that the 12 apostles, they're not, there's not 12 of them in the first instance, and there's certainly less of them than there was, like, say, about, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, in a, in a, a natural... <laughs> what are we worried about? <laughs> in a natural landmark that is slowly eroding away, um, the, the first thought of Vic Labor and the Vic Liberals was, how about we destroy it a bit more with some gas mining? Like, <laughs> well done. Like, your big natural feature, let's just do that. Well, certainly the COVID stuff made us stop making money from tourism, so we may as well get their fossil fuel cash. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I they're, they're just big rocks. They're, that's, they're not natural beauty. They're just cool. But yeah. It's more like if they won't, yeah, if they won't think twice about drilling here, where the fuck would they think twice about drilling? Yeah, that's true. Drilling your mum's backyard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that insult anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, in our final bit of our Climate Palooza episode, got to talk about the climate activism that happened this week. A lot of stuff happened, the biggest being the School Strife for Climate, which was on this Friday. Uh, It's happened again this year. More than 20 locations around the nation with about a dozen rallies were held online because of COVID restrictions. In Melbourne, about 300 people potentially logged on to virtually take part in the rally, while nearly 900 joined online in Sydney. In Adelaide, more than 1,000 school students in person and supporters rallied from Victoria Square to North Terrace and back. In Perth, several hundred people gathered outside the Western Australian Parliament from 11 o'clock a.m. despite, and this note made me grimly laugh, despite temperatures reaching above 30 degrees in Celsius for the first time in months. And it's like spring and it's already this hot in Perth. Anyway, Mm. um, a bit of a, yeah, note to that. Um, The... We'll link to the articles about it in the show notes, which have a lot of personal perspectives of the students that were attending. Um, really great, passionate perspectives from kids who have to live with the consequences of all of our actions and mm. all the consequences of our decisions and what we end up doing about climate change. It's really brutal. Uh, every MP seems to just want to ignore it or outright hate the fact that it's happening. And I have like, oh, yeah. I have a couple of theories for this. The first being that they really don't like seeing in-person future recipients of their inaction about climate change telling them to their face that they're going to die. That sort of in-person (laughs) realising, if I don't do anything about this, this child is going to die, having to deal with that is not something they can sort of get their head around. I mean, I can't get my head around it. That's the whole point. I think that's why it's so good. It's kids being yeah. like, stop it. Stop yeah. killing us. Yeah. They, they've had, like, you know, like we talked <laughs> about earlier, all of us, like, millennials have had to live with, like, the idea of climate change our entire lives. Zoomers are now the generation who know that they have the potential to die. And hmm. The second thing I know is that 
a lot of MPs and a lot of like people in charge are just really mad that they can't arrest all of them because they're kids. Yeah. <laughs> you can't you can't pepper spray these kids without kind of looking like the bad guy. <laughs> like if you think of every other sort of serious rally that has happened <clears throat> in this country, whether it be for Black Lives Matter, whether it be for Australia Day, whether it be it's in fact for climate change itself by adults. They simply, like, the police simply love to arrest protesters and, Mm. you know, Hulk smash them to the ground or pepper spray them or kettle them, and you can't do that to kids. You just have to let the kids do (laughs) it. (laughs) In the light of the Raise the Age campaign, Mm. like, you can, but... (laughs) Not a whole bunch of inner-city white kids. Yeah. 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 Um, And the last thing is that you can't just tell kids to vote. Which is, I think, a lot of <laughs> it is the main thing that I think, especially um, Labor Party people, are guilty of doing when they consider themselves progressive. Mm. They're like, "Well, you should just vote to make sure that the Labor Party gets in next election because maybe we'll do something. We can't really promise anything, but you should just vote." And kids mm. don't get a choice. Kids don't get a choice to vote. And maybe, yeah. maybe kids who have understood the challenges and the consequences of climate change, have also realised voting isn't the solution when every MP wants to do fucking nothing about climate change. That's the thing. They're like, oh, you know, if you want climate action, you should vote for Labor, who (laughs) are exploring new fossil fuel drilling opportunities around the Twelve Apostles. Scrolls one paragraph They are climate denialists (laughs) as well. Yeah, kids kids aren't buying into your lower energy prices, Labor. (laughs) Kids believe that the IPCC report is real. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's interesting to think about what, we learnt about <clears throat> climate change and what we learnt about what the government can do or the possibilities of, you know, influencing the government as kids or young adults. Because mm. I think there was like, when I was like maybe 16, 17, I think there was still a bit of youthful idealism that I could potentially influence the government with from within. Mm. Um, mm. But I think we're really, the, we're the flashpoint generation where we've realised actually we can't. We can't do it yeah. from within in the way that we thought we could for all this time or that we've been told that we could. And we've also had adults who keep on telling us, well, as you get more comfortable, you won't have to think about all these things and you'll just think these are all silly little issues and you'll get more conservative <sighs> as you get older. And yeah. that's just simply not happening. And every think- Zoomer that's growing up now is seeing these problems and they're very like, you know, it's so patronising to think that kids don't understand these issues. They do. Mm. The, uh, I believe, like our parents grew up with, I believe, children of the future kind of thing. Um, we grew up and parents were like, you're the future. And, and now we're, you know, 30 to 40 and we're going, oh, wow, shit's fucked. We can't get houses. The economy's broken. The climate's broken. The government's shit. And these like teens and 20 year olds, are being told that by us. And they're going, wow, even the generation older than us is saying it's fucked? Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's no illusion. Like, people our age could still have bought into our parents' generation thing of things will be fine. You know, the system will sort it out. We'll fix it in the future. But kids younger than us, they don't have that illusion at all. Yeah. Mm. Like, things are already broken. There's no trust that the government will sort it out because- yeah. They've grown up into an environment where the generation before them is telling them- With the future. Yeah, the the (laughs) government is not sorting it out for you. 
Um, the only thing you can do now is to tell them what you want. And that's the thing I really liked about this, the the strike. It's like, it is one of those things that I feel em- emblemizes the idea of the theory of change because like all the demands are really solid, non sort of wishy-washy requests. They have nothing to do with like owning the government, nothing like, you know, like coy little statements or anything. It's just everything to do yeah. with establishing a future that allows them to live full stop. Mm. Yeah, it's not even like climate action now. It's like concrete demands. Mm. Yeah. It's do the stuff you should have already been doing and said you would do. Yeah. So, uh, like, we'll go into the actual demands. Very simple. Calling on the federal government to turn away from emissions-intensive energy sources by, number one, resourcing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander-led solutions that guarantee land rights and care for country, number two, Mm funding the creation of secure jobs that fast-track solutions to the climate crisis and help communities recover, and number three, funding projects that transition our economy and communities to 100% renewable energy by 2030 through expanded public ownership. Hmm. Fantastic. Basic shit. That sounds like somebody believes the IPCC report (laughs) instead of being like, well, what should be 20, 50, 20 more years on that? Fuck off. I mean, the crazy thing about about this is, <clears throat> Those three things are things that should already exist, basically, mm. and that organically could have already happened if the government wasn't actively standing in the way. Like, the government has worked at every step to tear down renewables, to deny renewables, and to provide massive subsidies to fossil fuels. Yeah. Like, if the government didn't exist and we were entirely run by, like, free market shit, the free market is doing more than the government. <laughs> oh, and I the- hate the free market. <laughs> so grim. Yeah. Uh, like, the first thing that I really love about these um, these demands is that it centres Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander-led solutions mm. yeah, yeah, that yeah, guarantee yeah. land rights. That is the first point, and it's essential to any sort of solution. The second thing is that I just like that it, the, the essence of this is we won't wait. You're constantly mm. told as kids or as young people, oh, okay, we can mm. only do this a little bit at a time. You have to wait. It's going to be a gradual mm-hmm. change over to renewables and things. You just have to, like, uh, progress is slow. That was a lie. It, well, it was yeah, a lie. It's a lie. And kids are like finally like, you know what? Fuck this. We're not waiting. Mm. We want this now. And the, like the last demand in particular, it's not just like carbon zero, carbon neutral by 2050 mm. or wishy-washy things. It's literally 100% renewable by 2030, expanded public ownership. Bam. Just to note that like the idea that, you know, oh, well, change is slow sort of thing. I, I, I do hope that there are enough Zoomers who were sort of paying attention to the COVID crisis to be mm. like, Nah, <laughs> when there's an emergency, we can change shit up really massively, really quickly. We just can. Mm. Yeah. It, it, we just can. So change isn't slow. I think I think the COVID thing, and, and I'm always saying this, has been a fantastic learning experience for A, the concept of systemic problems that has to be solved systemically. You can't mm. solve COVID as individuals. You need like, you know, citywide mask mandates and vaccines and shit like that. Um, regulations. But yeah, also that, what? Oh, we shut down all national flights and we closed the borders and we subsidized industries and we did all this shit? Oh, turns out that was possible. Oh. And it's also like, of course, the main thing about the school's climate strike is that Zoomers are organizing. They're talking to mm. each other. Yes. They're, they're establishing, like you guys talked about in the last episode, um, Langham, you and Mitch and Isaac talked about this where you don't want to feel alone 
And sometimes that's scary. And so the best thing to do is to talk to other people about it and think, what do we do next? And they've decided what they want. Mm. Yeah. Well, honestly, these poor fucking kids, they don't have an option. Um, yeah. And in a way, I think they they have that edge on our generation because we grew up and in high school and in uni, uh, we still mostly had the illusion of, oh, yeah, I can get a degree and get a job and have a good life. And it's only now that we've gotten to the stage where we're like, oh, shit, no, that was all a lie. Yeah. Whereas these kids have grown up in high school and they've gone, oh, wow, no, everything's fucked. Uh, maybe <laughs> I just won't even go to uni. Um, we need to organize. We need to fight the power and, I don't know, set up a biker commune or something. <laughs> I just want to say I've got huge respect, especially for the kids in Perth, because it's all well and good doing a climate strike in Melbourne where we're super lefty and we're a bloody Greens government in some areas. But WA is extremely owned by fossil fuels like that is next level and so those guys are really doing good stuff yeah so the other thing that happened this week okay so <laughs> uh, deep breath i personally am allergic to talking about podcasts on podcasts um but I, but Dan Illich, who is the host of the podcast Rational Fear, he's run it for quite a few years now. Um, it's a loosely similar to us, a comedy podcast, uh, where they talk about political issues of the day. Uh, it's been run on and off for the last few years, but has become more consistent during COVID. And in the last few months, Dan Illich set up what he calls a joke keeper fund. So it's basically an ongoing fundraiser that he describes as a fund to hire satirists, creatives and producers to make ads and content, quote, ridiculing our fossil fuel supporting political parties. And this fund has so far raised $180,000, which is Ooh. quite remarkable in terms of like <laughs> good, fundraising money yep. for, you know, what is pay what is in writing funding comedians during an international pandemic. Yeah, definitely support that. And, and we're in a pandemic. The arts is clearly not being funded in any meaningful way. And, yeah, like paying comedians is good. Now, what happened this week? <laughs> Another but. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened this week was that Dan Illich got 16 grand um, with messages from what he says is a major anonymous donor um, to put up a 10-minute billboard in Times Square in New York, which I guess was meant to shame Scott Morrison for not attending the conference, and the government with a Crocodile Dundee reference and some yeah, other stuff. I mean, stuff. It's, it's, it's ads and content ridiculing our fossil fueling supporting political parties. Yeah. yeah. He's, which, he's, he's doing what he said on the tin. Yeah. It, it, there's no sort of lie about that. It's exactly what he intended to do. Part of like the description that's on the Joke Keeper Fund page is that we're going to raise money for billboards. So he wasn't lying when he said that. People are paying money knowing that this is going to be part of that. And Twitter lost its mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to summarise what the billboards actually are, um, which is there's one that's got a kangaroo on fire and it says uh, Australian at zero by 2300, um, which is a little... A little bit of a nudge at the fact that our deadline's really long. That's how long it's going to take us to get there, and kangaroos are on fire. There's um, there's one that's like cuddle a koala before we make them extinct. You know, pictures of happy person in a place being deforested. There's one that says it's got 
Photoshop picture of Scott Morrison that says Colophile Dundee. Because uh, he's a, he's a colophile. He really likes coal. Um, right. and, and then there's like, that's actually got some fine print where it's... <laughs> Love to have fine print on a billboard. <laughs> it's got some fine print and says, that's not climate denial. This is climate denial. And he's holding a, co- a coal. Rupert Murdoch presents, you know, Scott Morrison goes to Glasgow. People in New York are like, who's Scott Morrison? Um, <laughs> so there's, there's a whole range and they're kind of just doing the big Australia's doing shit. But yeah. So I want to get into the weeds of this a bit. Um, because, okay, I don't think Dan Illich is particularly funny. I realise oh. that, <laughs> I realise that a lot of my, uh, the the thing that I'm coming from here is I just, I just kind of looked at that billboard and was like, what? Uh, imagine I've been to Times Square. Sure. I've been to Times Square. I've be, I've stood there with all these like blasting ads in your face. I kind of like this sort of late capitalism feel of Times Square in an odd way. But I do not remember a fucking thing that I saw just because it was just a million different ads at once. I think that's not really a valid criticism of, of no, airing no, no. the billboards in Times Square, though, because, like, you know, we, we live in an age of social media. Oh, yeah. I was not in Times Square during the 10 minutes that those billboards <laughs> were airing, but I have seen the billboards. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it was a stunt that, I, I think that some of the criticisms of like, oh, I'm walking down Times Square and I look up and I, suddenly my opinions changed on the Australian government stance on fossil fuels. It's like the the audience of the Times Square billboard is far, far larger than the people who are at Times Square while the mm. time the billboard is airing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that that like just does need to be said. I agree. It was a stunt that was recorded and broadcast on way more channels than one billboard. It's it's it's. I think that part of it is absolutely legitimate. Yeah, the purpose mm. of it was to get attention elsewhere, talking about the billboards rather than on the billboards itself. Yeah, and yeah. so in that sense, I think it succeeded. the The thing that I I don't know it. Why doesn't it pass the smell test for me? Like I, I was just trying to think. Why don't I like it so much? Like I I, <laughs> I love satire. I love comedians. Haha, <laughs> I'm on a comedy podcast. <laughs> I love taking the piss. So why don't I like this? I have two things to say about this one. One, I think part of the reason that you don't like it and, and why I'm, I, I find it a bit naff as well is because we are comedians. And I think that a lot of the people who are ragging on these billboards are also comedians. And comedians tend to like much edgier and more experimental comedy than mainstream audiences. I, I, I think that's just simply true. You look at, you know, Big Bang Theory, Young Sheldon, mm-hmm. fucking, you know, uh, two and a half. Like, the, 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 you look at the most successful comedies and you're like, these aren't funny. These are terrible. Yeah. But that's because you're coming from a point of, 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 of you know, appreciating joke construction and looking for that sort of subversion that a lot of people who are looking for, you know, comedy are just looking for something that they don't have to think about. They can just be like, oh, nice, oh, yeah. it's a pop culture <laughs> reference. That I, I don't even want to say that as an indictment on the sort of quality of comedy. I, I think that is just, it's just a different audience. Yeah. It's yeah. not targeting comedians. And so comedians looking at comedy that isn't targeting comedians are almost always going to find it a bit naff. Yeah. We're also people who do a, a climate politics podcast and we are like real in down down the rabbit hole with like the stuff we're aware of and so i think you know these billboards seem a bit basic to us but they're not for us yeah they are for us that's the thing i don't yeah (laughs) so this is the thing i want to get into like i think 
why I just wanted to sort of examine my reaction to it is because like, who is the ad for? Who are these ads for? Are any of these ads? So Danielich also has not just this billboard that's gotten attention. Um, he gave a couple of interviews. Well, I say a couple. He gave quite a few interviews about it. Um, and in the New Daily, he says that he's got a couple more billboards planned, uh, specifically in people's electorates. Uh, other, like, and in MPs Glasgow. Are, yes, and in Glasgow for the actual um, meeting. Conference. Uh, uh, sorry, for the actual conference, um, at which Scott Morrison is now attending. But mm. the thing with these billboards is that I'm not sure. I know this, this isn't meant for me to find funny, but the way that he frames it is that he thinks it's going to be a bit of a nudge and a wink to someone like Barnaby Joyce, which is the electorate that he's going to put one of these billboards up in. Mm. And I don't understand what influence this is going to have on anyone who doesn't have a lick of shame. Like, and Barnaby Joyce, <laughs> Barnaby Joyce not only doesn't have shame, but every time he's done something fucked up, he's never faced any consequences. He's on the front bench again. <laughs> I, I wonder about that. I think that, I think that Barnaby Joyce doesn't have shame, but he does have a sense of being insulted. Mm. I, like, I think that <laughs> insulting Barnaby Joyce is different to shaming Barnaby Joyce. And I think that putting up a billboard in his electorate <laughs> would make him much more angry than, you know, um, just trying to shame him. I think it's trying to insult him. And I think that that is a valid point of attack. Like, I mean, I, I, here's the thing. I don't, I, I, I don't know what appealing to a broad comedic audience is like because I'm a, you know, my comedy is, I don't want to say edgy because that sort of implies it's niche. Sort of, you know, <laughs> why so serious sort of thing. But like, yeah, we we don't target that broad comedy and I don't know how to. Irrational Fear is a much more successful podcast than mine yeah. because it goes way broader. Um, And I, I well, partly because it goes uh, media connections and blah, 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 blah. But I, I think that like, I, I wouldn't be able to write a two and a half men if I sat down to write a sitcom because my brain would never go to those places. <laughs> I think also we're being a little harsh there. It's it's not as broad as like your two and a half men. It's also a, a podcast that's run for 10 years and has had a lot of hustle put into it and has a lot of connections to some like big, you know, media, like they get great guests and stuff on. Um, we're, we're, think- we're smaller and scrappier and more edgy. My, my, my sort of critic, my main thing comes down to the fact that it reminds me of the kind of comedy that was pre-Trump and during the Obama years, where mm. it was very mm. resting on your laurels and calling people stupid and then folding your arms and, like, sitting back and going, wasn't that epic? Yeah, one eyebrow very high. <laughs> the phrase you're looking for is the Lincoln Project. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's the thing. Um, Dan Illich describes what he is trying to achieve as being the Australian version of the Lincoln Project which in the United States, for listeners who don't know, is essentially a libertarian, mildly centrist uh, sort of attempt at comedy that was happening before the last uh, US election um, that was fundraising Mm. for that. And basically they took a lot of that money and ran. Um, But it wasn't (laughs) very effective comedy because it wasn't, it was basically speaking to the same people and not changing any minds. And I think that's really yeah. it. Like, I think a lot of that kind of comedy, it's not changing minds. It's speaking to the same people who would watch it in the first place. The people who are interested in that billboard are the people donating to it. And it's not going to change any further minds or shame anyone else into thinking, actually, maybe they have a good point. And anyone yeah. who's seen that billboard 
already knows about climate change and all the fucked up stupid things that our government ignores. Everyone knows that Scott Morrison was on holiday during the bushfires. Like, I it, don't it, think that's true, Evie. I, I don't, like, I mean, certainly, like, you know, Dan Illich was on American, you know, he was on CNN giving an interview about how Australia is bullshit on climate. I, I think that even a lot of Australians aren't really aware of how bullshit Australia is on climate. Like, again, I don't think that we know how to target a broad audience. And I, I don't think that we can say this is the wrong way to do it or yeah. this is the wrong content to do it through or Anything like that. I think that's my struggle with it because even though I find it very smug and I just absolutely – and I also think that Dan Illich has an incredibly thin skin about, like, people <laughs> trying to criticise those things. He's like uh, – But here we go. Yeah. Like, uh, like I, I struggle with that. But also, like, we don't have any good solutions in terms of, like, how to get, like, broad massive appeal to it other than things like the kids' school strike for climate action. Which – I, I think brings me to the second reason that these billboards strike me as like a bit why I don't like them mm. is because I think that Illich and Irrational Fear are not equipped to talk about climate change well. Um, they basically on their episode where they were, uh, you know, glowing about, we released these billboards, hooray, hooray, hooray. They had Joe Hildebrand on mm. as a guest who <sighs> is the front for News Corp's new pro-climate stance. And they were interviewing him about this new climate stance. They were interviewing him in a way that was taking the piss out of him being like, oh, it took you long enough to bloody get on the climate train. Hey, what's the problem, mate? But yeah. Fundamentally, it was a completely credulous interview where they were just like, it's good to see that News Corp is pro-climate action now, which it isn't. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> they were really, they, yeah. Like yeah. they were ragging on him a bunch. They were being like, but you guys are the problem. You've been doing lots of climate denial. You're a piece of shit. You know, how can you live with yourself? But Hildebrand is there. He's come on voluntarily. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, whatever, you bloody lefties. Why don't you go kiss a terrorist or whatever? Like they're <laughs> bantering kind of with him. It's humanizing him. It's like yeah. you can rag on News Corp. You can rag on Joe Hildebrand. In fact, we're doing it right now without <laughs> getting him on. Yeah. yeah, and the thing that that episode closes on Dan Illich shouting out Hildebrand slash News Corp's climate newsletter that they're launching as part of this mission. He's saying, "Go check out, subscribe to the Mission Zero newsletter." Here's the link. It, it, it's, he says they're taking climate change very seriously. Not part of the riffing. He's just doing an earnest shout out to a News Corp climate denialist, you know, delayist mm. publication. Like, th the reason that I don't sort of respect this is because it's so fucking credulous. It's, it's like you, you need to be more media literate about yeah. that sort of thing because th you are trying to take on highly resourced, highly practiced propaganda outlets. Y yeah. You can't be like, oh, this bit, though, this bit, they're the good guys. They're fucking absolutely not. What are you doing? It's undone the potential good that could have come like out of publicly making aware or embarrassing any MP or any sort of person who is involved with stopping the, like any sort of meaningful work done on climate change. Like if if you could see it from like the, you know, what you were saying before, McLean, about like, you know, a broad appeal that these billboards are bringing, like in and of itself, fine. It could be doing that. But 
If you immediately, you know, the very next day follow it up with something like, we're going to take these people seriously. We're going to take News Corp seriously yeah. when they say they're ending it. Yeah. Then what is the point? What is the point? That means what you're not listening. That means you're not listening. He's literally told his listeners, go and check out this thing. It's a good source for climate news. Thanks for coming. To a yeah. fucking News Corp publication. What are you doing? It's like, thanks for coming on the podcast, Pauline Hansen, you know? Yeah. Oh, if you want to read Pauline Hansen's mega racist blog, it's a great information source. If you want to know about, well, fuck off. And, <laughs> and what, are you, what are you hoping? Like, Joe Hildebrand or any of these slimy spin doctor types, he works for News Corp. He has no shame. You're not going to talk him into acknowledging he's wrong or being sorry or, like, saying anything that isn't the party line. You're just giving him a platform. Oh, we got him on and we got him some we got some good piss takes oh, out we, of him though yeah. that he laughed along with and knew were coming when he agreed to it because that's his whole persona as being a bit of a clown. Mm. Like, do you do you go to the circus and you see a clown get like pied in the face and be like, he's gonna be so embarrassed about that this <laughs> evening when he gets home, he's gonna be like, They got me with a pie again, guys. <laughs> they got me with another pie. I just realized this is why I feel so much of that. PTSD from like Obama pre-Trump years, it reminds me exactly of the way American liberals used to humanize George Bush and Donald Trump. Mm. Like basically like, oh, these class clowns, they're, but they're not so bad after all. We can see like, you know, the similarities to human and blah, yeah. blah, blah. It's like <sighs> you're still humanizing someone who is intent on enabling the very worst that, you know, this government has to offer. You get Trump on Saturday Night Live and say he's a dummy. Everyone laughs. He goes on to kill people. I think there's a kind of shtick that is like, I'm a big goofus that liberals are very, very vulnerable mm. to. Yes. Because it gets them to sort of attribute anything that they disagree with to, to stupidity. idiocy. Where yeah. they're just like, we don't need to worry about this guy because he's stupid. And there's a guy who is, you know, you can see successfully amassing tons of power around them. And every time that there's a bit of sort of scrutiny on them, they go, oh, remember, I'm pretty stupid, though. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, he's stupid. Everybody, he's stupid. We don't mm. have to worry about him. It's like, you do. Playing stupid is a really effective strategy. A hundred percent. Do you guys remember the rally to restore sanity and or fear? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which, which one was that? It was a big, like, Daily Show-supported rally of all the people just being, like, it, it, was, it was, like, politically neutral. Let's just, you know, talk to each other sensibly again. Mm -hmm. A lot of placards being, like, none of this sort of thing. Like, all very, oh. just very gentle and ironic that, spent a lot of political energy on the point of it was nothing. Like a pretend protest. Yeah. It yeah, was basically around the time that, like, um, the political right was starting to, like, there was a lot more uh, right populism was starting to emerge in America around 2010, uh, 2011, like all the tea bags and stuff like that. Um, and it was basically a daily show um, slash Colbert show um, rally to say, oh, look at all these people being stupid, but here's us being smart. And mm. we're talking about how conservatives yeah. are real dumb. And that was literally <laughs> it. And I just remember- and We lost the election. <laughs> yeah. I, I just it's remember the sense. thrust of it was just like, basically people attending this rally and being like really smug about it. And then being like, and then what? <laughs> It, it, it was basically, I think it was like one of those things where you have the Obama era where everyone sort of organized to get Obama into government and 
then it just stopped from there. All these grassroots organizers were like, okay, and so then what? Like, what are we going to do now in terms of policy? And, And it really feels like this sort of thing happening here with, you know, great, good thing to get comedians involved and interested in politics. But you can't rest on your laurels and you have to think of like the theory of change thing again that I was talking about with um, the climate rallies, which is what do you want to set out to achieve with this? Awareness is not the be all and end all. Like you can make people aware of things, but it's like any charity that just makes people (laughs) aware of diseases. Like, great. I'm I'm aware of a disease now. What now what? Yeah. Yeah. Like and and you've also got to be thinking like, what's your urgency here? Because I think there is a sense from a lot of these sort of you know, soft left, you know, Saturday Night Live types or whatever, that the natural course of things is that the good guys will win, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Joe Biden will get in power and then everything will be fine. And that once everyone is sensible, um, yeah, th- it is a just world and the system works. And and that the worst thing right now is that ScoMo is a bit annoying, but it's like, it's like you don't believe the IPCC report because the stakes are... Within a couple of decades, people will be dying en masse and fundamental global climate systems will change forever, destroying civilization as we know it. And I feel like that's not really summed up by koala file Dundee. Um, (laughs) And and I'm just trying to think, like, like if you want to shake things up here, and this is what I want to see. I want to see people being a bit brave because the stakes are so fucking high. Mm. They're so fucking high. I want to see someone put on, and you probably wouldn't be allowed to, putting a billboard up <laughs> that's like, hey, here's Scott Morrison's kids. They are dead. They are <laughs> oh going to die in climate. And he's fine with that. You know, or here's, here's Australia's um, bloody economy, and it's mostly fossil fuel exports. We are digging our own graves. Like something that makes people go, oh, shit. Yeah. I, I think Instead sh- of just like Scott Morrison's bad, eh? Yeah. Bit dumb. Instead of, Bit of a sensible dummy. chuckle magazine. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's basically it. It's going back to what you were saying, um, McLean, just about as well. Like, you don't want to seem like an edgelord, but also you do need to have a sense of shocking people into action. Yes. And the the level that this, you know, campaign has is it's making aware that things are bad and like uh, I'll be honest, a lot of the other things on the Joke Keeper page that they have planned don't really fill me uh. with confidence about uh, moving beyond awareness of things being bad. They've photoshopped a kangaroo on fire into that uh, net zero by 2300. Now, there is a very, very famous picture from the bushfires of a kangaroo on fire, like a kangaroo hopping <laughs> oh, past God. a blazing oh, house. And it is a horrifying photo. Mate, the kangaroo isn't on fire, but the whole picture was like, shit, that was someone's home yesterday. Mm. That is a shocking picture. But what we've Just got here billboard. is a kangaroo with some little flames, obviously photoshopped on with like a pink background. And so it's like you've gone out of your way to make something that's less shocking than an actual picture. What are you trying to do? That's such a good point. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that sort of sums up, like, that's Dan Illich, that's buddy Chris Bowen, that's the, 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 the you know, uh, News Corp new thing is, like, none of them are talking about climate as though it, you know, Could as though them. we're projected to experience mass human death. Yeah. It, it doesn't come up. the immediacy is not there and the actual visceral consequences the kids who are striking for climate are saying things like we are going to be the ones who die 
We are the ones who are mm. going to suffer it. And by contrast, you have a billboard that says, oh, isn't this funny that ScoMo wasn't here on, where well, he was on holiday while this was happening. So shout outs. Uh, this is was of personal interest to me and is actually just quite amazing. Um, the AFL Players for Climate Action is a group that is organized. They represent 260 plus AFL players who want to do more to tackle climate change. Um, in their opening statement, they talk a lot about how a lot of players and the industry was affected by the bushfires that happened in 2019, 2020. Um, and they talked amongst themselves about how their families were affected. A lot of them lost their homes. Um, a lot of them were, you know, were they like, personally affected health-wise. It was their first sort of real experience of climate breakdown. And so they're organizing themselves to talk about talk like, you know, climate action within their own industry. Now, this is gonna be it's interesting. Amazing. Yeah, it's it's really fantastic. Mm. And it's gonna be interesting because a lot of teams have mining sponsorship, especially <laughs> especially in the women's league. Um, because the women don't get enough funding, they've had to rely on companies like BHP for funding mm. um, and Woodside. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this goes, um, whether it ends up being, you know, like an individual thing or whether it ends up as a, like, you know, industry-wide solution. But mm. it... it they are already drawing attention to the fact that players and ex-players have been physically affected due to climate change. And that is more than, you know, what a lot of other sort of organisations are doing. So shout out to them. Very interested to yeah. see where this goes. Also shout out to all the North Melbourne players and ex-players who are involved in this. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just beautiful to see because like this, this, talking about like how we've reached different audiences other than people who are like into sort of niche comedy sort of thing. Sport is such a yeah. huge avenue to masses and masses of people. I'm just like looking at the AFLP4CA.org.au website where they've got like, for too long, sport has sat on the sidelines of climate. We want to change that, taking action in our lives at our clubs and across our industry. Yes. Yeah. Sport has so often been on the front line of like political change. Like look at bloody uh, civil rights and like gender equality and, you know, uh, same-sex marriage stuff, like sports is always really pushing that to the public, uh, like I. It, yeah, it's it's in the eye of just everybody. Mm. It's it's so it's it's got. I'm gonna say it. AFL has a broader reach than most podcasts, and so this is. <laughs> I want to say amazing. Any podcast? I love this. <laughs> yeah, they definitely have a larger advertising budget than sixteen thousand dollars for a Times Square billboard. <laughs> but <laughs> shout out to AFL players for climate action. We love you. Yeah. Mm. Thanks for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. You can get in touch with us on all the socials at NotGoodPod or email us at NotGoodPod at ProtonMail.com. Uh, leave reviews and, you know, five-star ratings and stuff on all the all the apps, every app. Just leave a review, leave a five-star for whatever, and just sp- put some positivity out in the world. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> thanks. Bye. You know how podcasts work. You listen to Irrational yeah. Fear. Um, you'll work it out. <laughs> you used to listen to Irrational Fear, but we convinced it's, you. It's rational. It's rational fear. It's not irrational. <laughs> Joe Hildebrand, if you're listening, you're a demon. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never have you on. Never. We won't. Get on. Come on the episode and uh, I'll edit you so that you sound like more of a fuckhead yeah. than you are. 
Yeah, coming out episode, we record at midnight in the old quarry. <laughs> Not Good Enough is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Uh, We want to pay our respects to their ancestors and elders and to acknowledge that this is stolen land.